Our Old Testament passage today picks up with Joshua chapter 8, beginning with verse 1. And the Lord said to Joshua, <laughs> Do not fear or be dismayed. Now, there's something that you got to get a hold of. God looks at a man that he wants to do a job and said, Don't be afraid and don't get discouraged. Don't be dismayed. Take all the fighting men with you and arise and go to Ai. See, I have given into your hand the king of Ai and his people, his city, and his land. Now notice, God said, I have given. Victory comes from God. And notice, the victory deals with the leadership, the people, the city, and the land, the buildings and the land. And you shall do to Ai and its king as you did to Jericho and its king. Only its spoil and its livestock you shall take as plunder for yourselves. Lay an ambush against the city behind it. Now notice, strategy. Now, now some people think that when you're walking in faith, you don't need strategy. But brothers and sisters, you do need strategy. God gave them a strategy. So, you know, notice God gave them the target and God gave them the strategy. Now, you need to not only ask God what to do, this is what, this is how. God will give you a strategy. So Joshua and all the fighting men arose to go up to Ai. And Joshua chose 30,000 mighty men of valor and sent them out by night. And he commanded them, Behold, you shall lie in ambush against the city behind it. Do not go very far from the city, but all of you remain ready. And I and all the people who are with me will approach the city. And when they come out against us, just as before, we shall flee before them. And notice, we shall flee. Here is strategy. And they will come out after us until we have drawn them away from the city. For they will say, they are fleeing from us just as before. So we will flee from before them. Then you shall arise from the ambush and seize the city. For the Lord your God will give it into your hand. Now, you know, there are some people that say, well, that's not fighting fair, Pastor. Excuse me, strategy is good combat. As soon as you have taken the city, you shall set the city on fire. You shall do according to the word of the Lord. See, I have commanded you. So Joshua sent them out, and they went to the place of ambush and lay between Bethel and Ai to the west of Ai. But Joshua spent that night among the people. Now, why? Why would he do that? Why would he spend the night among the people? Good leadership. Good leadership. When you've faced challenges and they just faced a defeat, remember in our context they're bouncing back from defeat, our devotions the last few days? Good leadership says, okay, the people are going to be nervous, the people are going to be scared. So he spent the night among the people. Joshua arose early in the morning and mustered the people and went up, he and the elders of Israel, before the people to Ai. Now notice, Joshua went up, he and the elders of Israel, before the people to Ai. So they, this is called leadership. They didn't sit up on the side of a mountain and say, you fight. They led the way. And all the fighting men who were with him went up and drew near before the city and encamped on the north side of Ai with a ravine between them and Ai. And he took about 5,000 men and set them in ambush between Bethel and Ai to the west of the city. 
So they stationed the forces, the main encampment that was north of the city and its rear guard west of the city. But Joshua spent that night in the valley. As soon as the king of Ai saw this, he and all of his people, the men of the city, hurried and went out before to early to the appointed place toward the Arabah to meet Israel in battle. But he did not know there was an ambush against him behind the city. All right, so you keep strategy secret. Strategy doesn't do any good if your enemies know your strategy. And Joshua and all Israel pretended, part of the strategy, to be beaten before them and fled in the direction of the wilderness. So all the people were in the city were called together to pursue them. And they pursued Joshua as they were drawn away from the city. Not a man was left in Ea or Bethel who did not go out after Israel. They left the city open and pursued Israel. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Stretch out the javelin that is in your hand toward Ai, for I give it into your hand. And Joshua stretched out the javelin that was in his hand toward the city. Now notice, this is, and the men in ambush rose quickly. So this is both a signal and an act of faith. It's a signal to the guys in ambush, but it's also an act of faith. I wonder what would have happened if he hadn't stretched out the, the javelin. Ah. And they hurried to set the city on fire. When the men of Ai looked back, and behold, the smoke of the city went up to heaven, they had no power to flee this way or that, for the people who fled into the wilderness turned back against the pursuers. And when Joshua and all Israel saw that the ambush had captured the city, and the smoke of the city went up, then they turned back and struck down the men of Ai. And the others came out from the city against them. So they were in the midst of Israel, some from this side and some from that. And Israel struck them down until there was left none that survived or escaped. But the king of Ai they took alive and brought him near to Joshua. When Israel had finished killing all the inhabitants of Ai in the open wilderness where they pursued them, and all of them to the very last had fallen by the edge of the sword, all Israel returned to Ai and struck it down with the edge of the sword. And all who fell on that day, both men and women, were 12,000, all the people of Ai. But Joshua did not draw back his hand with which he stretched out the javelin until he had devoted all the inhabitants of Ai to destruction. Only the livestock and the spoil of the city Israel took as their plunder, according to the word of the Lord that he commanded Joshua. Now, again, God did not want this to be a mixed multitude. He wanted Israel for Israel. This was judgment upon the people who had inhabited the land and had brought so much sin into the land. So Joshua burned Ai and made it a heap, made it forever a heap of ruins as it is to this day. And he hanged the king of Ai on a tree until evening. And at sunset Joshua commanded, and they took his body down from the tree and threw it at the entrance of the gate of the city and raised over it a great heap of stone, which stands there to this day. At that time, Joshua built an altar to the Lord, the God of Israel, at Mount Ebal. And just as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded the people of Israel, as it is written in the book of the law of Moses, an altar of uncut stones, on which no man has wielded an iron tool, and they offered on it burnt offerings to the Lord and sacrificed peat offerings. Now, I want you to notice, you know how I like to study archaeology of Israel? They have recently uncovered this, this stone altar that Joshua built. 
And they have found this amazing, amazing architectural site where you can see exactly where the stone altar was built by Joshua. It's called Joshua's Altar. So, I mean, if you, you look it up on Google, you look up Joshua's altar, you'll, you'll see the excavation that has taken place. And they're beginning to open that up for others to go and see it now. So it's, it's one of the beautiful things that's developing in Israel during this pandemic. Just as the servant of Moses had commanded the people of Israel, and as it is written in the book of the law of Moses, an altar of uncut stones, not cut stones, uncut stones, which no man has yielded an iron tool. And they offered on it burnt offerings to the Lord and sacrificed peace offerings. And there, in the presence of the people of Israel, he wrote on the stones a copy of the law of Moses, which he had written. And all Israel, sojourner as well as native-born, with their elders and officers and their judges, stood on opposite sides of the ark before the Levitical priests who carried the ark of the covenant of the Lord half of them in front of Mount Gerizim and half of them in front of Mount Ebal, just as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded at the first to bless the people of Israel. And afterward, he read all the words of the law, the blessing and the curse, according to all that was written in the book of the law. There was not one word of all that Moses commanded that Joshua did not read before all the assembly of Israel and the women and the little ones and the sojourners who lived among them. Chapter 9, verse 1. As soon as all the kings who were beyond the Jordan in the hill country and in the lowland and all along the coast of the great sea toward Lebanon, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Pezorites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites heard of this, they gathered together as one to fight against Joshua and Israel. Now, you know, you you start looking at these people and basically you're dealing with all the other nations that inhabited the land at that time. Jebusites, of course, from Jerusalem. But when the inhabitants of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and Ai, they on their part acted with cunning and went and made provisions and took out worn-out sacks for their donkeys and wineskins, worn out and torn and mended, with worn-out patched sandals on their feet and worn-out clothes, and all their provisions were dry and crumbly. And they went to Joshua at the camp at Gilgal and said to them and to all the men of Israel, We have come from a distant country, So now make a covenant with us. Now notice, we come from a distant country. That is a lie. But the men of Israel said to the Hivites, Perhaps you live among us. Then how can we make a covenant with you? They said to Joshua, We are your servants. And Joshua said to them, Who are you and where do you come from? And again, they said, From a distant country your servants have come because of the name of the Lord our God. For we have heard the report of all that he did in Egypt, and of all, notice, all that he did, and of all that he did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon, king of Heshbon, and to Og, the king of Bashan, who lived in Ashtaroth. So our elders and all the inhabitants of our country said to us, Take provisions in your hand for the journey to go out and meet them, and say to them, We are your servants. Come now, make a covenant with us. Here is our bread. It was still warm when we took it from our houses as our food for the journey on the day we set out to come to you. But behold, now it is dry and crumbly. These wineskins were new when we filled them, but behold, they have burst. These garments and our sandals are worn out from a very long journey. So some of the men took their provisions but did not ask counsel from the Lord. All right, so they checked 
but not prayed. And Joshua made peace with them and made a covenant with them to let them live. And the leaders of the congregation swore to them. But this was all deception. Now, this was not strategy. Strategy is what you fight a battle with. Deception is something very different. These men just plain lied. Strategy is not lying. Let me say that again. Strategy is not lying. And sometimes in business, forgive me business guys, you have forgotten the difference between strategy and lying. Strategy and deception. Now, when, when people get into deception, they can, forgive me, they can make something look like something that it's not. They made it look like they'd traveled a long journey, but they had not. It was all an act. Deception is acting. Oh, kawawa for us. Oh, we honor God. They didn't honor God, and they weren't kawawa. They were lying. So understand the foundation of all this is deception and lying. But the people of Israel, the leaders of Israel, did not pray. They made a decision based on facts presented. Now, facts presented is not always truth. Facts presented is oftentimes people showing you what they want you to see. Now, did they cross-examine them? Yes, they they went out and, you know, they checked. They, they took some of their provisions. So, so they did a cross-examination based on the facts. But the facts that were presented were lies and deception, cleverly covered up. Now, keep all that in mind as we continue. And at the end of three days, after they made a covenant with them, they heard that they were neighbors. Truth comes out. And that they lived among them. And the people of Israel set out and reached their cities on the third day. Now their cities were Gibeon, Chephirah, Berioth, and kiriath Jirion. But the people of Israel did not attack them because the leaders of the congregation had sworn to them by the Lord, the God of Israel. Then all the congregation murmured against the leaders. Leadership discontent. Why did you make such a bad decision? The people of Israel were really upset with the leaders because of a bad decision. Because the leaders were deceived by people who presented deception. But all the leaders said to the congregation, we have sworn to them by the Lord, the God of Israel, and now we may not touch them. This we will do to them. Let them live, lest wrath be upon us, because of the oath we have sworn to them. So in other words, even when you make a promise to people, and it's it's been based on deception, you keep your promise. Wow. In your company, when you sign a non-disclosure agreement, when you sign confidentiality agreements, and then you get fired one day, you don't violate those disagreements. That's, you'll have a very hard time ever getting another job if you do, because nobody will trust you. Yes, but pastor, they mistreated me. No, you gave your word. Ah, 
but they mistreated me. In your view, they mistreated you. There are many times in my life I've paid things, even though I felt I had been deceived and taken advantage of, but I paid it anyway because I gave my word. Brothers and sisters, you have to learn. When you make a promise, keep your promises. Joshua summoned them and said to them, Why did you deceive us? So there's that deception, saying, We are very far from you when you dwell among us. Now therefore you're cursed, and some of you shall never be anything but servants, cutters of woods, drawers of water for the house of, of my God. <laughs> now notice, deception renders the future bad. The future of a person who, who accomplishes something by deception. You're never going to be anything but servants. When you falsify your resume and you get a job and then somebody calls you in and even though you're doing a good job, you get terminated because you falsified your resume. You don't understand how hard it's ever going to be for you to get a job again, a good job. You've rendered your future bad. You can never be anything but servants. Wow. One day you're going to have to understand God does not bless deception. Let me say that again. God does not bring blessing upon deception. Deception brings a curse. Deception does not bring blessing. Deception brings a curse. And when you see people living in deception... It's pretty easy to recognize their life because you're going to see them do nothing but go down. You ever you ever wonder what's true in life? Just, just look around and see who is God blessing and who is just going down. They answered Joshua, Because it was told to your servants for a certainty that the Lord your God had commanded his servant Moses to give you all the land and to destroy all the inhabitants of the land from before you. So we feared greatly for our lives because of you and did this thing. And now behold, we are in your hand. Whatever seems good, right in your sight, do it that, to do to us, then do it. So he did this to them, and he delivered them out of the hand of the people of Israel, but they did not kill them. And Joshua made them that day cutters of wood and drawers of water for the congregation and for the altar of the Lord, and to this day in the place that he should choose. Now, brothers and sisters, their whole future their whole future was changed by deception. You have to learn. You have to learn. Do things the right way in truth. All right, let's open up our hearts and spend some more time in worship.
New Testament passage today picks up in Luke chapter 17, beginning with verse 11. On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. That would be like the border of Samaria and Galilee. Samaria would be part like the midway through the country going toward the north. As he entered a village, he was met by 10 lepers. Now notice, met by 10 lepers who stood at a distance. Why would they stand at a distance? Because in that culture of that day, social distancing was more than required. You know, a leper could be stoned by people if he walked up and touched a person who was clean. When you had leprosy, you were separated from your families, and the only people that you had any contact with were other lepers. So they stood at a distance. They, they practiced social distancing only. I would say it was extreme social distancing and required under severe penalty. And lifted up their voices saying, now why did they lift up their voices? Because they stood at a distance. So voices had to be lifted because they stood at a distance. Saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. <laughs> you know how I love the cry for mercy. And when he saw them, he said to them, go, show yourself to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Now notice, he never prayed. He never prayed for them. They were healed by obedience to a command. They were healed by obedience to a command. Many, many years ago, some of you old-timers will remember when Sister Bev had tuberculosis in both of her lungs. This had been early 80s. And we were just applying for uh, religious workers' visas in those days. Now we're permanent residents. We, we actually had like the equivalent of a Philippine green card. We were a quota-landed immigrant. But in those early days, we were just trying to get religious workers' visas. That was the easiest one to get. And Sister Bev had to go back and, and have a health examination by a qualified person that was allowed by the Philippine embassy or consulate in Chicago. The problem is that she developed tuberculosis. And it was a pretty severe case of tuberculosis. I mean, the kind when she laid on her pillow, she'd wake up in the morning and there would be blood all over her pillow. Now, you know, we were told straight up that you know, she would not be given religious workers' status with tuberculosis. This was even before we had all those or those pills that turn your sweat orange and stuff. And I just felt like God said, you're to go. So we went, and we went to the hospital where we were supposed to have the checkup. And the doctor came out, and I said, how do my wife's lungs look? He said, they're, they're perfect. I said, they're what? And he said, no, please, why are you upset? I said, never mind. He said, they look better than yours. Because as a kid, I'd grown up with a lot of pneumonia and bronchitis and stuff because we'd been so poor up in Michigan. He said, your, your wife's lungs are in much better condition than yours. And I just sat there and I remember, we don't know when Jesus healed her. We just obeyed. And he gave the miracle. Now, now, some of you need to get a hold of this truth. You're always waiting for something, and God has told you to do something. 
You're always waiting for something. Oh, I need this person to lay hands on me. I need this. I need that. And you don't understand. God has told you to do something. He's waiting for you. And as soon as you obey, they were cleansed. Now, notice the word cleansed here. It doesn't mean to be made whole. It means cleansed. The leprosy left their body. Now, that means that they lost their fingers. You know, there was still the scar there. They lost their nose. They were still missing a nose and there was a scar there. If they lost pieces of skin, that means there were scars there. They were cleansed. The leprosy was gone, but the, the impact of the leprosy was still there. Now, you, you've got to get a hold of this. There are times when healing comes and there's a cleansing, but you can still see the history, okay? The history is visible. The history of the disease is visible. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. You know what? When you praise, it should always be with a loud voice. It should not be, oh, I praise the Lord. Hallelujah. And he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now, he was a Samaritan. He was a half-breed. He was despised by the Jewish people. The religious Jews had this statement. It was a prayer. I thank God that I was not born a dog, a woman, or a Samaritan. And they kind of considered all three of them on equal terms. That Samaritans were, were considered as outcasts and half-breeds and Oh, the, the prejudice against the Samaritans was horrible. And here it was a Samaritan. Now, you say, well, what was he doing hanging around with these others? Well, forgive me, but you know, when, when people are hurting, they tend to hang out with whoever else is hurting. So here was a Samaritan hanging out with Jews who were also hurting. And then Jesus answered, we're not ten cleansed. Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and to give praise to God, except this foreigner. <laughs> and he said to him, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well, or your faith has made you whole. Now, now beloved, you, you got to get a hold of this truth. There are healings that flow, but the history is visible. A stroke is healed, but the damage the stroke has done remains. Ah, tuberculosis is healed, but the damage to the lungs remains. And then there's a time where you come back and you give praise to God. And God brings restoration to full health. restoration to full health. This guy got his nose back. He got his fingers back, his digits back. He got new baby flesh where there had been nothing but scars before. He was made whole. Now, I, I've experienced that in my life. I also had tuberculosis in both lungs. And my doctor said I needed to take a one-year break and go someplace where it's very dry. The climate is dry and Take these orange pills that turn your your these pills that turn your sweat orange, and take a sabbatical. And I said, "No, I'll just keep preaching." 
Three months later, that same duck daughter x-rayed my lungs and said, well, you're my good news tonight. There's no more tuberculosis in your lungs and there's no damage in your lungs. I have clear lungs today. There's no destruction, though I used to cough up blood all the time. I can remember when I was fighting with it. Shasha and Sister Bev liked to go ice skating out at Mega Mall. And I could not get near that ice skating rink because every time I got near that ice skating rink, it felt like my lungs were on fire. I can I could have never gone to Israel with it so cold as it is now. Cold air just set my lungs on fire. Now I can go to Israel, even when it snows, though I don't like the snow. I can go to an ice skating rink and watch my daughter and my wife. God healed the lungs. Brothers and sisters, when God heals you, always come back and give praise. Always come back and say thank you in Jesus' name. Being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God, now what is the kingdom of God? It's the authority of God. The authority of God in a given time and place. And he answered, the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed. They were looking for a physical kingdom. They wanted to see the return of like David's kingdom. They wanted a geographical kingdom. They wanted Israel to be free from Roman power. Nor will they say, look, here it is, or there, behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you kingdom of God is in the midst of you. God, how often did Jesus and the apostles preach, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. So put some of those at hand verses there. And he said to his disciples, the days are coming when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. And they will say to you, look there or look here. Do not go out or follow them. For as the lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one side to the other, so will the Son of Man be in his day. But first, before the day of Jesus, before the day of Messiah, this is referring to his second coming. But before that second coming, when he comes to rule and reign, but first, he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. All right, so before he comes to rule and reign, first he will suffer and he will be rejected. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days of the Son of Man, these days of the second coming. They will be eating and drinking, marrying and being given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Okay. Likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot, they were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building, but on the day when Lot went out of Sodom, fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all. So it will be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. He said, you know what? People are not going to be expecting it. They're not going to be living in anticipation of the second coming. Now, we're not talking about the rapture here. We're talking about the second coming. He said, so in other words, there is no anticipation now, this is, to me, one of the strangest things that Jesus is teaching. Because in the middle of the Great Tribulation, there's no anticipation of the return of Jesus. Ah. And, and you wonder, how could that be? 
Well, I think that you're going to find that secular society wants to remove every thought of Jesus during that great tribulation. On that day, let the one who is on the housetop with his goods in the house not come down to take them away. And likewise, let the one who is in the field not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life will keep it. I tell you, in that night there will be two in one bed. One will be taken, and the other left. And there will be two women grinding together. One will be taken, and the other left. And they said to him, Where, Lord? And he said to them, Where the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. Now, let me read that last verse to you out of the New Living. Just as the gathering of the vultures shows that there's a carcass nearby, so these signs indicate that the end is near. All right, let me just share with you a couple of Proverbs to finish up today. Proverbs chapter 18, beginning with verse 20. From the fruit of a man's mouth, his stomach is satisfied. He is satisfied by the yield of his lips. Now, the fruit of a man's mouth. You know, ugly words, negative nasty words will never bring satisfaction to a man's stomach. <laughs> he is satisfied by the yield of his lips. Do you want to prosper? Watch your mouth. Okay, I mean, please, straight up, watch your mouth. Okay, you want to prosper? Watch your mouth. Going around talking bad about everybody, it's, it's like one of our members a couple of years ago when Facebook first began popular, came to me and they said, Pastor Summerall, I was just denied this job. I said, why? I said, you're, you're obviously qualified. Pastor, they looked at my Facebook and they said they didn't like how I spoke about other people. I said, oh, that's why people put nice things on Facebook. And then they have a private place where they say all the ugly things. They have a, a private ugly place. Now, brothers and sisters, it doesn't matter if you have a private ugly place. God hears. The fruit of a man's mouth, his stomach is satisfied. Make your words sweet. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat the fruit of it. Now, the tongue can bring death or life, and those who love to talk will reap the consequences. Yeah. You know, you're going to find you shoot your mouth off a lot with your little entitled mentality on Facebook and Twitter and, and Instagram and whatever, LinkedIn, and you're going to find you reap the consequences. I like what old brother Osteen used to say. Not, not Joel Osteen, but his daddy, John Osteen. He used to say, make your words sweet because one day you're going to eat them. Hmm. He who finds a wife <laughs> finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. All right, so a good wife brings God's favor. <laughs> I like that. I found a good wife, and it brought me God's favor. But now, young men, please don't get mad at me, okay? Please, guys, please, 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 please. Some of you, you need to start looking. Notice the word find. Let's just highlight that a little bit more. Whoops. He who finds. 
a good wife finds a good thing. Guys, you got to start looking. Now, some of you, forgive me, this COVID-19 thing is, it's like over a year of our life has just disappeared. Young people, young men, start looking around. You've got some wonderful, beautiful girls here in church in all the campuses, but you got to go find them. You got to go looking. Forgive me, guys. Put away your video game and start wife hunting. <laughs> I didn't say lust hunting. I said wife hunting. There, there is a big difference. Some of you young men, you're 25, you're 26, you're 30 years old, and you don't even have a girlfriend. And it's not because you're a bad guy. You're a good guy. It's just you're busy with your career. You're busy with your basketball. You're busy with your video games. And you don't understand. If you will find a wife, you'll find a good thing. And you will obtain favor from the Lord. Say, Pastor, how will I support my wife? Well, you need a job. But also, it'll bring favor from God upon your life. Now, you've got to get a hold of that, guys. You find a good wife, and it will bring the favor of God upon your life. The poor use entreaties. But the rich answer roughly. Have you ever noticed that? You, you stand in line with people, like for COVID vaccine, and you see rich people answering very roughly. But you see poor people sitting there in the same line, and they speak very kindly, very softly. Huh. A man of many companions may come to ruin. But there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Now, look at New Living in that one. There are friends who destroy each other. You know, there are people, and friends there is in quotation marks, okay? It's amazing. There are people who call themselves friends, and all they want to do is destroy you. But a real friend sticks closer than a brother. A real friend stands at your side. No matter what goes on in life, even with things they don't understand, a real friend stands there with you. Ah. All right, we're finished up today. I want you to remember services tonight. I'm back in the book of Romans. Again, I want to thank Pastor A for helping us in the evening services during break week, giving my voice a little bit of a break and allowing me to, to do some teaching for the Connect Group leaders and the CS. I've been teaching them all last week on reopening the Connect Groups. That's going to be happening in the next few months because this thing is coming to an end, beloved. So get the fear out of your life. This is coming to an end. We'll see you tonight, Book of Romans, 7 o'clock.